This is Adrian Paul from Highlander, and you're listening to the Dead TV Podcast. Welcome back to another exciting episode of the Dead TV Podcast, a podcast dedicated to all the canceled television shows in the science fiction, fantasy, and horror genre, and their finales. And tonight, Mr. Zeneca and I talk about the finale, the last two episodes at least, of War of the Worlds, the series, and joining us for this episode is the writer of the first of the two episodes, Jim Henshaw. Thank you for coming back on the show with us, Jim. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, when was the last time we had Jim on, Mr. Seneca? Was it Friday the 13th? I believe it was for Friday the 13th. Right. Yeah, a couple of years ago, I think. Yeah, and but Jim has been actually pumping us full of great information behind the scenes about the workings <laughs> of War of the Worlds. Um, really in, interesting stuff. Really interesting stuff. Really interesting stuff. This the only episode you did for, Friday, for uh, War of the Worlds, Jim? War of the Worlds was our sister show. Uh, we worked out of the same production office, and uh, they were just down the hall from where we were. And we got canceled, and uh, I think they already knew that they were uh, not going forward with the third season. What I was going to say is they were our sister show, and uh, down the hall from us, we shared the same production facility. And... Uh, we were canceled. We we thought we had two more episodes to do to finish our third season, and uh, we, the plug got pulled on us. So uh, I was wrapping up Friday the Thirteenth, and they I think still had three or maybe four shows to shoot. And they came to me and said, "Since you got time, can you step in and and write an episode for us?" So I did. And uh, at this point, they knew how they were wrapping it up. So it was one of those things where uh, they bear, they basically laid out the bare bones of the show. Um, it's an episode where we need this to happen. And uh, I don't remember if it was the first time that they suggested that the aliens were on their last legs. They were running out of rations. And uh, I don't think the aliens were the only things running on their last legs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It happens to the best of us. Yeah, you know, I, I just uh, what we have to, we have talked about excessively, and I know I'm a lore. Sure. I, I, I think, Mr. Zeneca, you can agree I'm the more critical person when it comes to these shows. Yes, I am a very easy audience. <laughs> but I think one of us has to be the easy go, and the one of us has to be the hardball for these type of shows that we do. You know, yes. and that and that and, and there's a reason why these shows get canceled. You know, and whether it's good or bad. Uh, but Jesus Christ, Jim, we had a VR episode last time, and the original season was all like a direct sequel to the cla- one of the most classic sci-fi movies of all time. And then they go into this other direction in season two. You're like, what the hell is going on? You know? And we've talked about on offline having very difficult times trying to get cast and crew members on the show. You know, and it's amazing Adrian Paul came on to talk to with us. <laughs> And that was because we promised to talk about his business as well. So. Right. 
You know, that was a negotiation there. His, his, his people were like, as long as you talk about the business as well. I'm like, of course we'll talk about the business. He makes swords for a living. But we got to talk about War of the Worlds. And they were like, he, he, he said that's fine. I was like, wow, that's one of the three. I mean, he's one of the five big stars of the show, you know? I don't right. count the al- I don't count whoever the hell was underneath the alien costumes because we never really saw their faces. No. <laughs> but the humans, you know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. So you did this episode, The True Believer. Right. <clears throat> Now, on this episode, the bare bones that they gave you, uh, was it like the entire plot line of the robotish, uh, not, I wouldn't say robot, that was the last episode, but the masked aliens pretending to be them and, and this would be kind of a cop drama episode? Uh, partially. Uh, um, so ha- I, how much was yours and how much was theirs? I I would say probably close to 50-50. Um, what I know they gave me was we're wrapping the series up. Um, we're suggesting that the aliens are, are starting to suffer from, from attacks by the humans in that uh, they're running out of food. They're running out of, of soldiers. Um, I think... I think the second season was where they brought in this whole thing of, of this race they called the Mothran mm-hmm. and and the character known as the Eternal. Although I think there was something that was like a triumvirate of aliens in the first season right. that operated as like the command center. Yeah, and but, that's what I thought these were from like, you know, Manila effect memory of the show. I always thought it was like... These were the elders of the entire race, right. which now yeah. you didn't write the second episode that we're going to cover in the finale right. of the show. They retcon everything like, oh, so there's like the giant turdy looking aliens that we know and hate. And then there's like beautiful looking aliens, which are the, you know, Catherine Disher and, and our other yep. cast of characters who play the yeah, Mothran aliens. Right. Bit. Yep. Dennis Forrest. And... Oh, they also, by the way, happened... So, you remember the movie, right? Remember the last scene in the movie where the alien's foot comes out of the pod and then dies? Yep. They fucking named that alien. (laughs) Guess what the name of the alien is? You ever Uh, seen Masters of the Universe? Tila! Oh, no. Really? You didn't know that? No. (laughs) Yes, they named the alien. I'm not... By the way... The fucking alien in the pod that comes out and dies just before we finally see it is the mother of uh, the wife. I'm sorry, the wife of the male leader of the Mothran people. Oh, my God. Okay. <laughs> I, I got to tell you, I, I felt nothing but sympathy for, for people who were working on War of the Worlds because it was a tough thing right from the start. Um, you and I have talked about this, and... I, and uh, but when they started, they had a great crew and a, a great strangers, I think really fine writer who had put together a great writing room. Um, uh, his father, uh, Sam Strangers, who was exec producing the show, I think it went all the way back to Batman in terms of, you know, genre stuff. And they had really put together a great concept. They Everything was just rosy and then the wga strike happened and all of a sudden greg couldn't write on his own show none of his writers room 
people were allowed to be on the show. Friday the 13th uh, was also a Paramount show under the same umbrella, but we had, um, they had done a deal with the Canadian Union uh, so that we could use Canadian writers and directors for half the episodes. So we could keep shooting when, when our season started, but they were stuck, and yet they were on a delivery schedule. So they had to, to find writers who were Canadian who knew nothing about the show. I don't even think Greg was allowed to talk to them Whoa. much more than give them the concept and, and all of that. And they hired staff who were really good writers. But it was like nobody could, you know, when, you, when you're shooting a pilot, and the pilot, I think, had been pre-written, so, you know, it was okay. Oh, my God, and I it, thought the pilot for this whole show was amazing. Didn't you, Mr. Seneca? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's yeah. like, it, like it, it, it is a straight-up sequel to that movie. You know what I mean? The production yeah. value was great, and sometimes pilots can be hit or miss. They can be sure. worse than the show, or they can be better than the show. In this case, it was it's one of the top five best episodes of the show. And, by the way, season two right. does have a great episode. The episode with a, uh, Harrison and... Uh, the Highlander, uh, Kincaid, go back in time to the events the day after the movie ended. Right. Amazing. Right. Loved it. Absolutely yeah. loved it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think they had some great guest stars the second season as well. Um, they had the guy from um, uh, Roy Thinnis, I think, uh, who had had his own alien show at one point. Right. Um, yeah. And they had, uh, we were just talking about uh, Battlestar Galactica's Michael Hogan is in right. your episode. Yep. Yeah. And I mean, they had really good people, but the problem was that they there was a communication breakdown. After, uh, I believe the pilot in season one was actually a two parter. Yep. And and so they had a great start. The return. Oh, no. Uh, resurrect the resurrection. Right. Uh, they had a great start. And then they were just in this position where I remember having a conversation with Sam at one point because he was sort of going, like, I'm trying to tell people how to do stuff, but I'm not using the right language. And, and you know, he was really struggling with trying to keep it going. And at that point, which is like early in the first season, um, they were they were just trying. We all hoped that WH strike, WGA strike wouldn't last very long. And for them, it was just a matter of we've got to get through four or five episodes and then everybody comes back and we can we can get it going. But they just never caught up and they were never able to recapture because there were things that were done, which they then had to cover for or work their way around. So they were in in pretty bad shape by the end of the season, but they got through it. And then at that point. Uh, Franklin Cuso Jr., who was the exec producer on our show, Paramount put on both shows, and John Anderson, who was the other exec on our show, was put in charge of both. And they thought that would help smooth things out because Friday was running fine. Um, it was clicking on all cylinders, and, and they could step away from it a little bit. But even then, there seemed to be a lot of confusion about what they wanted to do different. And I was never party to any of those conversations. But every now and then when I'd be talking to John or Frank, it was like, this just isn't going into gear the way that we want it to. And I don't know what those actual elements were. But what I got 
I know they initially... Hold on a second, Jim. Okay, go ahead. Okay, do you want me back up anywhere? No, or? just right, right there where you were. Okay. Um, I know when they were reconceiving the show, um, they wanted to give the aliens faces. They wanted <laughs> to make them more active within the, the show. Um, I don't know the details about uh, uh, the actors who left the series and the ones who replaced them, but it was like they were just you know, trying to spruce it up and, and maybe based on, on some kind of demographic information and audience and research they've done, uh, start solving some of the problems or, or taking it in a direction that, that would work. Um, but I, I, they still kind of were running on three wheels through the, the second season. And, uh, so when I came in, we had done, an episode early on in our final season called Demon Hunter, which I'd written. And one of the cool things about Demon Hunter, the episode was about this kind of group of vigilantes who were, you know, calling up demons and then going and killing them. And we, it ended with like a, a huge gun battle in the, in the, the vault at, at the, uh, uh, curious goods store and there was like all this you know uh heavy weapons fire going on and and everything else and it was a big battle scene and it worked great and we got great response to it so i just sort of went okay maybe that would work here and so we pumped up the action and it was like let's do a couple of those great gun battles and see if that helps with the series that led me to doing okay i got to bring somebody in here who's a cop and i think the whole direction of the cop show part of it came from me um but what i knew that they needed was they needed to show the aliens were were getting desperate they needed to bring them out more in their interactions with people which i don't think it happened a lot but i could be wrong about that um so the whole thing of denny foray and uh you know, becoming the the cop that comes in to work with our true believer cop um, was sort of what I brought to the show, and then the the big gun battles and and all of that kind of stuff. So it was it was basically the aliens are dying, um, and we've got to do something where they do a desperate thing to to try and stop the humans who knew about them but it gets turned against them. So that was the part that came from them, and then the whole cop kind of thing came from me. It was very interestingly formatted because it leads you to believe, like I had to stop the episode and turn it back to the beginning again because mm -hmm. once it got to the robbery scene, I was like, yep. wait a minute, this is, what? Yeah. Was that what they were referring to? Like money? I I I had to rewind it and watch it again because the language was so vague. And I originally thought they were talking about going after aliens, and then I right. see the robbery, and then those words could be applied to a robbery situation, and it made me question, just like Debbie does in the episode, 
are you guys clones? Are you guys actually right. doing this? And then they yeah. walk in with a wad of money. It's like, oh, I'm right there with you, Debbie. I don't know if these are actual people that we've been following or not. Right. It was yep. a very interesting twist there. Yeah, and I don't know if you thank me for the, that or, 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 or <laughs> well, I will. Frank. I will thank you for that because that was very interesting. It was definitely a, a WTF moment. Yeah. Um, totally out of character for the characters, but then when the reveal is shown that these are just aliens in, in very high-quality outfits and masks, then I'm like, oh, and I get it, and it, it wrapped it up pretty well. Yeah. Now, uh, had they used clones that way in prior episodes? They've been doing the clone thing since the first episode they killed off Iron Horse. Oh, okay. That's right. like the big plot line the whole second season is that we're not like jamming our bodies into the human bodies and using them like, you know, fleshy meat right. sacks. We're cloning right. people and they're basically like Terminators and if you kill yourself, right. the clone dies. But they also right. stopped doing that as well because I don't remember that being a big plot line anymore after the beginning of the show. Do you, Mrs. Enica? I think it lasted until like middle of the second season here. Okay, yeah, because in the first episode, Iron Horse kills himself yeah. to kill the clone. And it was like right. the big like, oh my god! You know, like, wow! Like, I remember him dying, but I, I was like, still, it was, just, you know, I watched it at the time, I was like, holy shit, they just killed off the main character, one of the three main characters. Right. And I thought that another character has been killed off in this episode, because Harrison was shot with the alien uh, device that right. we've seen actually disintegrate people. Yep. And then he ends up being interrogated quite harshly. Like, it was very different from the episodes prior. Right. And you also have a great car explosion in this episode. So that I I I had made a little note in my in my writings that uh, big budget car explosion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, there's always a weird thing when you're when you're coming in as a I don't want to say a guest writer, but a, a one episode writer on a on a series, and that's that you know when somebody says. You know, this really worked for me. You're going, okay, is it is it working because it's fixing something you wanted to fix, or is it working because it was just a good scene? You know, it, it's mm -hmm. that weird kind of thing where um, you, you're never sure. Uh, I mean, as well as you know the show, and I did not know this show well, um, it, it's like I'm... I was working on basically what I knew to be some of the issues that they were trying to fix. And and so the additional action, the additional car explosion, the bank robbery, all of that probably was because people were saying somehow we just don't have enough action. There's too much standing around talking going on. And I don't know if that was a reality on the show or it was just... Uh, an act of desperation from the people making it. Mm -hmm. Just like the aliens are desperate. Yeah. And, and in a way the humans just as desperate, you know, because, mm -hmm. uh, obviously the clone thing, you know, it, it could have succeeded quite easily. Yeah. And, and God, it's 30 years ago. Uh, uh, 
Well, one of the one of the lines that I really love in this episode is said by the police chief, and it, when's the last time you saw anything in this world get better? And that's yeah. like, oh, it, today, reflecting today, that's just very profound. Yeah. Do you still feel that way, or did you actually feel that way in the 1990s? Well, the true believer thing came from, I mean, it was odd that I went on from this to do a cop show that ran for about four or five years, but um, because I didn't really like a lot of cop shows, and there really was a thing in the late 80s of that that kind of is reflective of now with I mean, cops were kind of, uh, in the media, considered to be out of control. A lot of the rap stuff that, that happened around that time was about, you know, uh, I mean, I remember Ice Cube getting in a lot of, or... Uh, yeah, NWA. Yeah, but but those guys and um, the guy, oh God, what's his name? Uh, the one that had his own cop show, um, it was on one of the Law and Orders. Uh, but he had an album out called Cop Killer. Hmm. And and it was, I mean, it was... That must not have been popular. Yeah, well, it sure wasn't popular because I was writing the pilot for Top Cops. And it was like we had all these cops going, what gives him the right, you know, what gives Warner Brothers the right to, you know, do this, to make cops look bad and all right. that. But there was a general kind of thing that probably came out of, Compton and NWA, which was, um, you know what, this shit goes on and we're tired of it. And I think I kind of was feeling the same way. So we had these kind of paramilitary cops in the episode. So it was reflective of the time. And I mean, given what's going on right now, um, you kind of understand that those circles seem to keep coming back. Right. It was like I started to understand what they deal with, what what the job entails, how difficult it is, and um, you know, and you know, I don't want to yeah. get into what's going on in Afghanistan right now, but um, yeah, we did a little bit in the previous podcast. I mean, yeah, because <laughs> I, mean, I was trying to like make a comparison to like how this world is and went from like bleak to sorry, very bright to very bleak very quickly, and that. I mean, that is what happened in Afghanistan. You know what I mean? It's it's fiction mirror reality and fiction. You know what I mean? They're there's yeah. a, there's they they mirror does, each does other. Does art imitate life, or does life imitate art? Right, and it's happened. You know, we we we've had uh, you know there there at least more than once on this podcast we've covered something like what happened with the presidency and what's happening with the economy and what's I mean the economy in the world of the world war of the world season two is terrible. The, the economy here in the United States right now is up and down, left and right. Yeah. So I mean, it's yeah. not like we're getting political, but we're just gonna we're not gonna ignore like what is you know what's happening. It's just you know this these are the facts. This is what's this is what's actually going on in the world right now. Oh look, it's happening on the show too. It happened on the show. It happened in real life. You know, in a few years, it, it, the, the economy in 1990 or whatever was kind of like on the verge of a collapse or whatever. You know, until you know, at the yeah. time there was a recession. So yeah. it, it's. You know, they were writing the show based on what was happening in the real world. You know, one president goes, another president comes in. There's always, like, an up and down with the economy. You know, it's not a left yep. or right thing. It's just the way it is everywhere. Yep. But, uh, you know, Jim, we, we said we didn't want to keep you on too much longer. We do appreciate your insight into uh, this episode. Mr. Zeneca, did you have any other questions about this episode for him before we let him go? 
Well, I just want to know, since it's been so long since you, we've talked with you, is there anything new coming up from you? What are you working on right now? We've just finished another one of, uh, I think I told you that Ken Stacy and I, uh, Ken used to be a, a, a artist for Marvel. And Ken and I have been doing a series of um, Aboriginal-based comic books, uh, which are about Aboriginal law. Ooh. And yeah. And uh, we finished, the second one just got published. The third one's coming out soon. And the first one is now being used as a textbook in virtually every law school, uh, which deals with Aboriginal law or is... is uh, raising aboriginal lawyers and the second one uh is going to be doing the same thing my understanding and we're, we're working on number three so that's we're doing amazing that. i know it's been a great project and um one that neither one of us thought would would amount to anything and and i mean more than a hundred thousand uh copies of the first one were sold and and I don't know what the print run is on the second one, but it's it's up there. So they're doing really well. And uh, TV wise, uh, I can't tell you who this is for because I've, I've got a a bit of an NDA connected with it. But I'm doing a script. Um, it's a true story. Um, uh, I'm going to compare it to like a John Grisham novel. Mm -hmm. It's, okay. it's a, a bunch of crooked lawyers. And uh, first draft went in about two weeks ago, and they're happy with it. So we'll see where it goes from there. Cool. Awesome. Wonderful. Well, Jim, yeah. thank you so much for coming back on the show with us to uh, talk about War of the Worlds. I don't know what we will be covering that you will work on again in the upcoming future. You didn't work on Alienation, did you? No, I didn't. Okay. But you should be... Uh, a friend of mine did. Uh, oh, okay. All right, there you go. Now we have a connection. So, you, we will you be did. covering Alien Nation. I think at least we got to be starting it probably a quarter of a halfway into 2022, right, Mister Zeneca? Uh, something like that. I'm not sure how long Reaper is, but Reaper's. Uh, we're doing Alien Nation after Reaper. Reaper okay. is 44, 36 episodes. Reaper's only two seasons, but they're not super long. Right. So uh, let me know, and I'll, I'll get you connected with Michelle. Awesome. That would be fantastic. Um, thank you again so much, Jim, for coming on the show with us. A pleasure as always. Awesome. Thank you so much. Okay. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye. And we're going to take a quick break, and we don't have a focus area this week. Mr. Zedica, what do we have this week instead of a focus area? Oh, my God. We have the interview with Adrian Paul. Yep. Jazz who plays John Kincaid on this show, and he played some sword-wielding maniac immortal on some other show. Right, Mrs. Annika? Yes, he is the Highlander. He is delightful, and we've been teasing this for such a long time, and it is great to bring it to everyone. And after having the star of the show, Witchblade, on with us for the final episode, and we had the star of uh, the Bill and Ted show at the at the final of the uh, of the season as well, I just thought it was, you know, we were like, why don't we end the show with, you know, Adrian Paul coming on? We did that for Friday the 13th with John D. LeMay. It was his final episode, too, by the way. Not the final of the show, but his final episode. Yeah, it's getting to be a thing with us, I suppose. I, I suppose, too. Maybe we'll do that with somebody who worked on a comic book we're covering very soon. Maybe. Maybe. Who knows? Who knows? 
And we'll be back with uh, Adrian Paul and then the Dead TV Podcast's final episode of War of the Worlds, the series. Well, Adrian Paul, I'm Chris. This is my co-host, Mr. Zeneca. Hello. Hello. How are you? I'm Bo, and how are you? I am uh, relaxed. <laughs> <laughs> One of the biggest things that we're covering right now that is in your filmography that I, I had to talk to you about was we're currently covering War of the Worlds, the TV series. From the ah, 80s, 90s. Yeah. I have a lot of memories of that. I wanted to know what your experience was like working on the show. Was that your big, your first really big hit for you? I wouldn't say it was a hit. I would say it was a, it was an introduction. <laughs> I mean, it was you know because I mean I came in on the second season and it was, it was interesting because it was I'm gonna put it, it was, I was replacing somebody else, and you know I I already done one series. I did the Colby's. That was my first thing that really got me um, working. But this one was, was difficult because they they kind of offered it to me and deal wasn't quite what myself and the agent wanted. And I, I turned it down and I, and he said, you know, it might go away. And I said, yeah, but, you know, the thing is, is like, is it worth it for this? And so they came back and then they came back and said, yeah, no, actually, we'll do the deal as as you want it. So we did the deal and um, I wasn't quite sure what to expect because being the second season in the show, uh, and I found out very quickly that fans are always very loyal to the the first people that come in on a on a series, and they always kind of compare you to that person. So I got kind of mixed reviews when I was doing it as Kincaid, but you know we shot it in Toronto. It was the first time I think I I was in Canada for one for the series for any series, you know. And the area where it's, you know, we shot back in the 80s, there are not so many as many rules as there are today. So we were shooting. In, in old abandoned warehouses that had asbestos coming from the ceiling. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, oh. you know, it wasn't a trendy location. Let's put it like that. Well, thankfully, you're still with us today because asbestos <laughs> has been known to kill people. Unfortunately, no pun intended. That's just God. Uh, I hope your insur- your health insurance was fantastic. You were getting checked after every time going to set. Nobody nobody knew about that stuff back in the uh, 80s. Nobody cared. That's what I said. You know, back then. I mean, even the the other fact of uh, when when you're on set, the whole thing. You know, when you see these you know, somebody walking across the moors and all the the fog is running in. Well, those are all s- smoke machines, and a lot of the smoke machines used to have oil in them, which are really bad for the lungs. I mean, I, I came from so many sets, especially on War of the Worlds, where they used that. And you would come up at the end of the day and you'd have black in your nostrils. Ooh. And that's really unhealthy. Now they're banned and you can only use um, water-soluble uh, smoke machines. So <laughs> there's a lot of things that, that have changed, as I said, over the years. Like, this is the first time I'm actually watching the show. So I've watched the first season and now we're into the second season. The show changed so dramatically. I have to ask you, did your shoulders get sore from carrying the weight of the show? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I was awake at the show. I mean, I, you know, I, I was, I was a young boy and I was just having fun. I was, you know, uh, I was enjoying what I was doing. It was a series. I was regular paycheck. I, I was working with some nice people and uh, it was fun. Coming into the second season, you had to create like the, you know, you, you developed this character, uh, Kincaid, who was very different than everyone else. Cause everyone was very like, they were either a scientist or they were the military. That's it. You know, there was nothing in between. And you were this like, rogue, former military, kind of a badass, you know, and doing your own thing. Very Han Solo-like. Were you allowed to create anything about the character yourself, or was it all written for you? Well, a lot of it's written for you, but, I mean, you, you, whenever they write a character, they, they always 
the actor kind of develop develops it a little further. And so a lot of the time, you know, I, I want to do my own stuff and, you know, I came up with a couple of ideas, but you know, you're a young actor, you're there to sort of toe the line and do what, you know, people actually do. We, we came up with some variants occasionally, but I don't know. I mean, it was, it was, it was an experience I was, I was learning at the time. So it was, it was a great experience for me. So back in the nineties, you know, you have the war of the world show and then a few years later, Highlander, you suddenly became someone where women wanted you and men wanted to be you, or at least, you know, live forever and wear a trench coat and carry swords. What was it like for you being a nineties heartthrob? <laughs> women across the country wanting to you know be with you because um, you were i mean you, i mean god my mom talked about you my grandma oh, yes. watched that show <laughs> yeah, that's, that's when you tell you you can tell you're getting older when people go my mom really likes you and my, my grandma <laughs> oh. really loves you before as you said it was all the young girls now and then eventually as you got into the 2000s and 2010s it, i get again i'm like okay yeah i know i am getting older okay was it difficult to get around and be a normal person? It was difficult going around sometimes. Yeah, it was difficult. I mean, you know, because it, it was, and it's great at first because, you know, War of the Worlds had a certain fan base, but Highlander then became a worldwide phenomenon after the first season. And I'll always remember, you know, shooting in Paris the first year because uh, we shot in Paris and Vancouver and, and going to uh, Paris was, was different. I mean, it was Paris. It was the city of lights. It was fantastic. But no one gave a damn about Highlander. I mean, like, who, what's Highlander? So when we were getting, you know, um, locations, which the French are notorious for paperwork, it would take us two, three weeks to get a, a, a piece of paper signed to go, go onto a location where, you know, usually you, you get the script like five, six, seven, eight days before. So they've always scrambling for locations. Second season, <laughs> everybody's like, oh, Highlander. Yeah, of course. <laughs> we would get them in a heartbeat. <laughs> so... <laughs> So eventually, as that happened, you know, then the show began to really gain popularity. And it was a second season that we really sort of started feeling the fans and that and going out and being, you know, seen everywhere and, and noticed everywhere and, you know, and eventually mobbed everywhere. I mean, I was, you know, in France and Italy and uh, a lot of other countries, you know, I was I was mobbed by kids in that, which was why I started my charity pretty much. But, you know, it was it was fun and not fun. And then, you know, as it goes away, you're like, well, where is it now? <laughs> it's, it's kind of a, it's, it's, it's fun to do at a certain point, but I don't know if it has some people, you know, do it all the time. With everything that you have been in and fights and things, stunts, what was possibly the most dangerous thing you've ever done? And uh, Survived. how badly, were, how bad did you get injured? Oh, I've been injured so many times. <laughs> how many bones have you broken? <laughs> I've not, you know, the funny thing is I've not broken anything, but I've landed on my head twice. Um, I've damaged vertebrae and I've had myself stitched up a few times. And as you get older, I'm sure the insurance company is like, you can't do that. You're too well, old. Well, actually, the insurance company is now. It's funny because I was actually talking to a friend of mine who was actually on Black Sales and it was in Transformers and that. And, and he's a sword master, you know, and he's, and, um, you know, they said when he was doing Black Sales, he was 50. I think 55, 56 at the time, they wouldn't let him do any of the sword stuff, even though he's better than everybody else and could do it because the insurance company said, no, 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 can't have him do it. And I'm like, really? Like, <laughs> I, anyway, so, you know, insurance does uh, create a, a problem for that because everybody's too happy. And, uh, you know, even in the sword experience, I have to have insurance for wooden swords. There's no metal, but I still pay a, a nice premium for it every year to actually ensure that nothing happens. Nothing's ever happened in over the hundred events I've done. Still, they, they, you're still paying the insurance for it. 
My yeah. first, uh, my first Renfair sword fight, I took the sword right in my nose. Oh, did you? Yeah. yeah that, I, <laughs> I mean, did that fight real listen, quick. <laughs> when, I, when I say things don't happen, people get, you know, smacked on the fingers occasionally. I've, I've seen a little blood out the nose one time when somebody got knocked in the, but I'm so careful with people when I say to them, you have to be doing this and this and this and this. Don't do this and this and this. Um, you know, there's a bunch of different, one of the worst things is, is when people get what I call the UG effect. The UG effect is basically when you play golf, you're like, ah, it's like they just, you just want to crash the thing, but that's not how you're supposed to swing. The swing is about the timing, the, the your, your hand positioning, the making the, the actual uh, golf club swing. Same thing happens in a sword fight, but what ends up happening in fights when you're doing it as an actor and when people are playing together is that that ug effect happens and then they lose all control and uh, my whole point about you know why i created our targeting system is because it's supposed to go to that target it's not supposed to go lower it's not supposed to go harder it's not supposed to go cutting through you're not there to prove something you're there to create a piece of art in a sense by the the, the fight that you're doing so you know, if you want to go and do that, go do it somewhere else because, <laughs> you, you know, you can you can seriously hurt somebody when yeah. it's, you'll get overzealous. Mm -hmm. And I can see those that go overzealous and, and I have to shut them down. Right. They I mean, they really drilled into us the muscle memory to know what you're supposed to do and how you're supposed to handle the, you know, the sword correctly. And it was the same drills every single week, you know, and we did it from starting at like 8 a.m. till about, you know, 12 or 1 is usually what, what practice was every single Sunday to prepare for the, you know, the Renfair fight. Because, uh, you know, even though they were, the tips were cut off or filed down so there's no sharp tip to it and the swords were dull, they're still swords. They're still really heavy and they yeah. can really hurt you. Well, they're definitely, okay. and it just, unfortunately, his his tip wasn't tipped enough and I caught it like right into my freaking nose <laughs> because I accidentally stepped forward when I was supposed to step back and he lunged forward and I just forgot my movement for that one split second. And that's what it takes is that one split second. I mean, it does. It takes that split second of take, keeping your eye off the ball, somebody going and doing something. I mean, I, when I was doing Highlander, for instance, I, there were numerous occasions I got cut because of something, just that little thing happened. You know, at one time there was a sword that was supposed to come through a, a bookcase Right. And we rehearsed it going through the bookcase. And then as they were doing it, we were in the middle of the fight. It hit the bookcase, but it hit the CD cases on top. And literally, I saw the point of the sword coming straight from my face. And I turned just enough for it to just nick my face. So, I mean, I could have, the, my eye could have come out at that point. Wow. Oh, yeah. it was, it's literally that split second to be able to, but you, that's why you have to continue to do it. Right. You just, you know. I'm assuming in your line of work, you have to be very relaxed being a master swordsman with this uh, sword company that you have. You have to uh, take things in your stride, should we put it like that? I mean, there's a lot of things happen when you when you put events on, you know, and um, I just came back from one in uh, Colorado Springs with 40 people, you know, so, you know, you're handling 40 people, they're all different personalities and that, so you have to kind of uh, have fun, but kind of keep everybody having fun and, and doing what you really need them to do. Yeah, I noticed the tour dates, and uh, you'll be coming to my hometown of Philadelphia soon. Oh, uh, yeah, Philly. Yeah, I've got uh, end of uh, July, from what I understand. Uh, uh, yeah, it's end of July, 26, 27, something like that, yeah. Yeah, and it's like swordplay, tutorials. It sounds really fun. Yeah, I mean, we kind of what we kind of do is, uh, 
I don't make it just about sword play because that's why I called it the sword experience. So it wasn't just about, you know, sword work. It's about experiencing the location, the food, the uh, the people, the all that stuff. So you get to you get to learn sword, but you also get the fitness portion of it. You get to uh, be a part of a movie because we film it. We take it to exotic locations. We you know we've been in castles, vineyards. We've had retreats. Uh, we got one coming uh, end of uh, November, beginning of December in Mexico. We've been to Germany, England, Ireland, France, uh, New Zealand. We've been to a lot of different places, and I kind of like to find interesting stuff you know for people to see so it's not just about you know i'm going to go and learn some sword which is kind of fun anyway but you know you get to you get to do a lot of other things yeah in philadelphia the the event is going to take place inside of a castle <laughs> yeah i thought that was just a, a touch of highlander there it just grabs my heart <laughs> well it's a, you know i mean everybody kind of likes um old things in a sense you know not antiques but like you know there's 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 a sense of history everybody kind of gets enthralled in even though people are like well i don't really do history that once they pick up a sword or they they visit a castle or they do something they're like oh this is kind of cool i never knew this existed what you did by the way inspired me to take up german longsword fighting um i did oh, it I did. for renfair for a couple of years in a row i don't know if i can remember everything i did or everything i was trained but <laughs> no, I, I did german longsword fighting for like two to three years Oh, awesome. They're heavy. They can be heavy, oh, those long Yeah. And, and they usually, they weren't used a lot for, you know, a lot of, like we would do, like 15 different uh, shots in a, in, a, in, a, in a choreographed sequence. Those were like two or three hits and it was done, you know. So right, right. Big, big, big weapons, you know. Do you have any plans to come up to New England, Massachusetts? Uh, well, ma actually, gosh, when was I up there last? I've, I've been up there a few times. I haven't been up there for as a, about a year and a half, but I, I, Manchester, New Hampshire, was I was up there. I was up in, uh, gosh, a couple of other places in, in that area. So, uh, yeah, there, there is a possibility I'll be up back up there soon. That would be awesome. I will. Uh, uh, I'm assuming you post that stuff on your social media and stuff. Everywhere where I go is actually either on my Facebook page or where or, or on the Sword Experience uh, uh, pages. So, okay. you know, my, my movements on there. Is there a Twitter as well people can follow? My my own personal one, yeah, but I, I don't really do my – I do some posts of business there, but not, not a lot. I just kind of make cool. comments on things. You know, that's what Twitter is right. for. Definitely. <laughs> you did mention your uh, peace fund, Fighting for Children. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, um, Protect, Educate, Aid Children Every Day is what it stands for. Uh, it started in 1997. I started it because, as I said, kids, I would have kids outside my trailer, you know, like 20 kids outside my trailer asking for autographs. And I was like, you know, I'd always ask them what you're doing and, you know, how you been. And I, I saw the reaction I would get seeing them seeing me. And I was like, well, wait a minute. You know, I've always wanted to do something positive. Um, and, and I said, you know, this is kind of something I think uh, I could do. Uh, I just didn't want to attach myself to another charity. And, and so I, I started the Peace Fund and I had, you know, at that time, the fan club, my fan club had started up and, you know, I had a, a fair amount of people that could help with volunteering because obviously charities really run off of the volunteer work. They don't getting funding is very hard for a lot of charities. And so I started off um, the Peace Fund back in 1997 under the auspices of Athletes and Entertainers for Kids, whose spearhead was Shaq O'Neal. <laughs> I remember the first event I ever went to when we were sort of uh, just taking over that their program. Uh, Shaq was the I was emceeing it and Shaq came up and he goes oh Adrian hi how you doing he's like and he's you know he's like six foot eight so I don't know how tall he is. he's huge and he's literally just leaning on my shoulder and I'm <laughs> this guy's enormous 
And we took the program over from there and started running it as a school makes a difference program, basically taking kids through different programs in a day and bringing celebrities and other other guests in to actually give them inspiration. And from that point onwards, it just got started growing. And I stopped it for a year or so before the tsunamis of 2001, 2002, when my brother was actually involved in it in uh, Thailand. And we started it up again and started raising money and partnering with different organizations. And since then, we've We've worked with many organizations in different countries, sort of either building small things like playgrounds or, or dentists, getting books for kids in, in different areas, uh, building a home, you know, those types of things for uh, children in need. And, and then we've started our, our radio show, our a podcast, which started in 2012, which is called Peace Fund Radio. And um, I've done now over, over 600 hours of, of podcast on that show with my uh, co-host, Ethan Detmar. And we basically run, because what I notice is a lot of charities don't have the ability, as I said, to raise money. And a lot of time they're always competing against each other because it's all about, well, you know, I'm not going to give up my sources. I said, it's not about that. It's about sharing information. And a lot of organizations were doing the same thing across the country. And a lot of people in certain places didn't know those organizations actually existed until something happened to somebody they knew, something but in their family, you know, because so we deal with, all things from autism to homelessness to foster care to all those different types of things and you know give people the information that they might be looking for in in their area or that they might want to donate to um, and we're always giving them the, the parameters as how to donate because there's a lot of places that you know are not up and up as a charity that's kind of how it it's evolved and you know the pandemic we were, we were about to start our um Kids Read to Lead program, which was uh, a program basically bringing celebrities into schools where we would act out the characters in the books, which actually gave them a better chance at being interested in reading books because they started playing the characters in the books. You know, when you're a kid, you know, oh, yeah. you, you want to play the character, you want to be the, the, the princess and all that. So we wanted them to engage in that. And it worked very well for us, uh, you know, over a couple of years when we were doing it in, in individual schools. So we th thought the program was going to be developed a little further um, so we have different celebrities coming in on that program but then in 2020 of course we had the pandemic so uh, we're probably going to start it back up this year start um, taking it around now but obviously it's going to be slightly different because there are so many different rules now with bringing anybody into contact with anybody anybody else and even in schools do you consider the peace fund an important part of your legacy yeah i do yeah i think it's i mean it's now been 22 years i've been doing it what wow. i really uh, really pleased about it is that you know it's it's a non-profit that is basically paid virtually nobody all the all the all the stuff we ever got all the funds and that we got we put straight back into you know into the programs that we, we were doing so you know on charity navigator all those different uh, organizations that you find there you find out how much they've been um, spending throughout the year and what they spend for this and that and you know, we we really are in the 90s, 1990 something percent. There are some things you have to pay for, you know, like shipping. Unfortunately, USPS or UPS or FedEx, they don't give you a discount a lot of the time. You still have to pay oh. for something and certain things you still have to pay for, you know. Oh, um, my God. Yeah. You know, so. Uh, um, the electricity and utilities. Exactly. And there's, there's, <laughs> there is stuff. It's just natural, you know. And, I, and I've, listen, I've dealt with literally probably a couple of hundred charities now. I interview them as well on Peace Farm Radio, for instance, and I talk to a lot of them, food banks, foster homes and all the, 
And all of these, you know, they're all, all like, well, you know, we wouldn't survive without our volunteers. It's really simple. It's just not going to happen. You know, and people don't realize that all your parks, all your schools, all the, everything around is actually run by a, a .org because otherwise you're just going to be paying, you know, an extreme amount of money for, for all the expenses. We've got about six minutes left. I have one question remaining about Highlander, one about War of the Worlds. But, Mr. Zeneca, do you have a question real quick before we run out of time? Yes, I just want to say your voice, even today, sounds like silk. Do you do any voiceover acting anymore? No, I mean, anymore. I don't know. <laughs> you know, it's funny because I haven't, I go up for a voiceover auditions, but I haven't done any in a while. I mean, I, I've, I've done book uh, things, but I've not done, um, I've not done any voiceover acting for a while now. It's, uh, I, I have so much to do sometimes. And, you know, I do the, the auditions, but I, I've not been able to uh, to crack it. It's not it's, an easy, it's not a difficult area to crack sometimes. It was so awesome to see you as Dante on Arrow. I was like, hey, it's Adrian Paul. That's so awesome. He's in the Arrowverse, part of the DC universe. That's so cool. But my yeah, question was, uh, speaking of DC, I don't know if you heard the news, but Henry Cavill has been cast as the, the new Highlander. What do you think well, of that? Well, he's been cast in the Highlander, and they're not quite sure which role he has yet. I'm right. presuming it's Highlander. I'm pretty yeah, because of uh, because he was on Witcher. Witcher, yeah. Which you know, which I think has a second season now. Maybe not, maybe not a third, but um, right. Yeah, he's no, definitely not that. coming back to play Superman anytime soon. No, no, probably not. <laughs> not for a while. No, I mean it's good. I mean, we people always ask me about those things, and I think you know it's it's going to be interesting to see what the take is going to be. I've, I've known this script has been around for years. Um, I've been waiting for them to actually make it. I, you know, I actually spoke to Lionsgate a couple of years ago and they said, uh, because I was actually looking at something for my character, Duncan, and they're like, well, we can't release the, the rights for that right now because we're still thinking of, you know, doing the, the, the film, but they're two separate divisions. And if they do a, uh, a film, they will do a series on it. You know, so it'll be interesting to see what the take is. And, and, uh, but I, hear the, I heard the script was actually pretty good, although it's a slight departure from the original because they're remaking the original. Right, pretty much. yeah, yeah. Which I think is like, I guess it's time. I mean, the original movie came out in the 80s. I, oh, I'm not saying every remake needs to happen. And sometimes they're good and most times they're really bad. But I, I guess it's time for Highlander. I mean, the continuity with the, the TV show, the miniseries, and, and the, uh, the, the last film were all kind of together because you were in continuity with the movies, hmm. sort of. You guys never dealt with the alien plot line, I think, on the show, right? Which would have been hilarious. What, what, what alien, what alien, alien plot invasion line? show to another what, alien show. What alien plot line? What alien plot line? <laughs> if you ask the producers, Highlander 2 never existed. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Adrian, Paul, thank you so very, very much for coming on the uh, Dead TV podcast to talk a little bit about War of the Worlds. You were the first actor we've had to be able to get on the show. I know the show has had since it's, its ups and downs, but really appreciate you coming on to talk about it, as well as your, your company and your charity work as well. It's an absolute pleasure and honor to speak with you. Thank, thank you, you so much. much. I'm so glad I did not fangirl out. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much. Take care. Bye. Bye, Bye now. Dorgan Ramen is a restaurant in Ashland, Massachusetts. It serves traditional and authentic Japanese ramen, Thai noodle soups, and the best chicken wings in the Metro West. Everything done in-house from scratch, and they use only the highest quality products from small farms. Co-chef owners, Papanook and Alan McIntosh, combine their culinary skills with traditional Japanese cuisine to create an authentic, amazing flavor in every dish. 
located at 1 West Union Street on Ashland, Massachusetts. Their phone number is 508-309-3416. Or they can be located on Facebook at Dorgan Ramen Ashland and on their website as well, www.dorganramen.com. And we're back. Thank you, Adrian Paul, for coming on the show with us here on the Dead TV Podcast. We really do appreciate that, as well as Jim. We had two great interviews. And now on to the final episode, The Obelisk. The Obelisk, Season 2, Episode 20, originally aired May 14, 1990. As the aliens are losing the fight and dying off, they decide to use spores to kill off all native life on Earth. Okay. Earth technique. Yeah, and we also see the return of a character, something that is like, wow, somebody was paying attention to continuity. We have Debbie's alien boyfriend returning. Yeah, Cito. Yes, who is the son of Mana, which I don't think we got that in the last episode that he was in, correct? Did we? Oh, and up, up until this point, I thought that all their children were kind of grown instead of birthed. Right. Very unusual. Um, I'm going to get this right out of the bat. This is an okay ending to the show. Uh, the show was canceled, as Jim mentioned, so they basically just had to rush and wrap it up real quick. Uh, there is a giant problem with this entire episode. What is that, Mr. Zeneca? Well, it's the retconning of everything. Everything. Going all the way back to 1954. 56. 54? I keep getting the years mixed up. I think it's 53. 53, okay. Yeah, right back to the movie. The frickin' film. Because they talk about the aliens as one giant species looking at Earth, seeing Earth, wanting to go to Earth and invade it, and they name the alien... The last alien we see, because we see two aliens in the original film, right? We see the one that attacks the professor and the girl, Cynthia. And then in the sec- at the end of the episode, unless it's the same alien, uh, we, see, we see an alien trying to step out of the ship and then die of the bacteria in the, in the Earth's atmosphere. And we name that alien now, too, which I thought is interesting. But not in the way that they did it. <laughs> Yes. You know, when you first, you know, this is before I actually watched the episode, when you first were giving me this little tidbit of information about the name of the alien, I thought you were meaning the nickname that some special effects guy gave the arm and the armature of the alien. I didn't... Oh, you didn't mean, you didn't think I meant the alien, the last alien that we saw in the film, the one with the foot. Yeah. Ah, okay. So, so the, the name that immediately came to my mind was... Um, was uh, the name that immediately came to my mind was Stretch Armstrong because that's the type of name that a special effects guy would give his creation. Oh, interesting. Well, also, I, I also have to correct myself. So on He-Man and the Masters of the Universe, whether it's the original cartoon or any of the other cartoons, like the one Kevin Smith's doing right now, Revelations, Tila is spelled T-E-E-L-A. This Tila is spelled T-I-L-A. Different spelling, they probably changed it because they didn't want it to be associated with the action figure Tila. Um, but, yeah, Tila, they say it, though, the same way. They say Tila just like He-Man says Tila. Mm-hmm. 
So Tila is the alien that we see step off the ship, and she is the wife of one of the main alien characters uh, who has been on multiple shows we've covered, Malzar, Dennis Forrest's character. Her father is Talek, played by John Gilbert, and there's like there's like Game of Thrones style drama on Malzar. <laughs> yeah, this is a very interesting way to actually end this because not only are they retconning and and rewriting the past for this ending to to make sense, they are instating these interpersonal alien dramas and then they also state that there are only 40 aliens left on the planet earth so this entire time it seems it seemed to me that the aliens were getting stronger and from the previous episode and this one the aliens are definitely getting weaker and with only 40 of them left and their cloning device isn't working i mean what what plans for global takeover could you really do so the spores being released and killing all life is just kind of that scorched earth technique that would leave them with an empty planet. Forty people. Like that just seems just seems like they could have taken over an island and lived happily on that. And Mana even says that this is what's gonna happen to what happened to you, what happened to our world's gonna happen to yours. Okay, once again at no point do they ever explain why does society collapse from seasons one to two. I just assumed that the difference there was that uh, the aliens were interfering and they had caused the weather to go weird and you know all of these other things that they were experiencing. Well, the, it also seems like we get um okay the opening of every episode. It's got that voiceover mm-hmm. as the camera's flying through the streets, you know. It's not the cool voiceover like we get with Harrison talking about the movie, you know what I mean? No, this is talking about riots and people dying in the streets and, you know, I don't know what's happening. No one can tell me things. and Yeah, yeah it, it's very much exposition as to what's going on in this season. It's been implied that Mana Malzar are responsible for the collapse of society, like they did something. But it's mm-hmm. never, like, stated. This is like, oh, there's this plot line in the movie, but you got to go read a comic book tie-in to get the, get the story of what they're talking about. Right? I, I suppose so. I, I think it, the, the way that season two has gone, it seems that the aliens win in every episode, up until, like, these last few. The aliens got their nutrients, the aliens fixed their energy source, the aliens, you know, have all these other things. So, in this episode to be revealed that there's only 40 of them left, and I counted the dead aliens after that number. So, at the end of this episode, there's only 35 aliens left. Hmm, interesting. I mean, I guess they could just continue cloning people, but they seem like, it seems like the, um... The, the the Debbie and Cito's uh, Romeo and Juliet romance, which is exactly what it is. It's Romeo and Juliet. Uh, alien race, human race, good guys, bad guys, opposite families. You know what I mean? The children bring them together. Because they're like, Cito can't be trusted, but Debbie, you love him, so I guess he's okay. But we're not going to bring him back to our lair in the sewer, you know, where all our high-tech piece-of-crap equipment is. 
And then Mana's there, and they're about to go to blows with each other, and the children are just like, no, we must be friends. All of a sudden, after an entire season of bullshit, we gotta be friends. Yeah. Yeah, and we know that Zito isn't technically the same age as Debbie, because in this episode it's revealed that uh, the Mothrai live to the ripe old age of 1,000 human years. And he was grown and reached to the age that he has gotten very, very quickly. So I think in human years, he's probably just barely one. <laughs> but he's matured and he is intelligent and he is one of the Mothrai that actually sympathizes with humans. That's the big difference. His intelligence allowed him to see it from a different angle and the friendship with Debbie is the exact thing that drives him to make sure that the spores aren't actually released because he would not want Debbie to die and he also doesn't right Debbie dying bad save human race good <laughs> basically how it wraps it all up and Mana Malzar dies horrifically which is great the outfits they're wearing are the most ridiculous goddamn thing ever. Have you ever seen Destroy All Monsters? Yes. Yes! You, you get what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Don't they look exactly like the, uh, whatever the aliens are called, the Destroy All Monsters that basically capture Godzilla and all of his friends to, to wage a war against humankind using the monsters? It's one of those things in sci-fi literature and media that... In the future, or in a distant place, all people dress in exactly the same way, in whatever robish type of things that they wear. Ugh. It's just kind of one of those tropes. Also, the obelisk, all of the crystal usage. What alien species race happened to use all of crystals for their stuff and things? And it didn't really the work out too well for them. The Kryptonians, yes. Which, by the way, did you know that that whole crystallized Krypton crystals information, whatever, you know, that 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 version, that's the word I'm looking for, version of Krypton had never been done before until Richard Donner did it. Oh, I did not know that. I didn't know that either. I was like, I must not be a Silver Age Superman fan that much. I know the Golden Age didn't do that. They were very sci-fi-ish or whatever. But yeah, Richard Donner wanted to be like, we're going to do something different with Krypton. You know what I mean? And mm -hmm. ever since then... Years later, they adopted that in the comics, and it's all the crystal technology and stuff. They're not as, like, cold with their white robes, and they're so, like, you know, we act like robots, and we have no human emotions, and you know what? Banging is bad, so we give birth through a peapod and a capsule or whatever. You know what I mean? They've, mm. they've evolved the Kryptonians to be a little bit more human, you know, since then. Um, but, uh, yeah, that, that whole crystallized thing, that was a big thing on Smallville and everything else, you know, in the current Superman and Lois show. But, uh, yeah, crystals and aliens, that's always the big thing, isn't it? It is, but also it leads to science kind of going in that direction, because data is now being stored on crystals. It's still experimental, but they are going in that direction. So I wonder if it's inspiration by the science fiction realms that are leading to these discoveries and the efforts to do so. Because it's just cool that you can just put in a crystal and then it reads things. Uh, I, I don't know, but yeah, it's just a very big sci-fi trope. Mana and the aliens go off in one direction and our heroes walk off into the sunrise. <laughs> and that's it. The end of the show. 
Yeah, yeah. The, the last things in the in the episode is that Mana says that this planet suffers uh, a fate. The planet is to suffer a fate as our own, and then the last two lines of the entire episode, the entire season, is "Let's get some air and nice morning." <laughs> da, 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 da. War of the Worlds. <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> That's it. I mean, they just walk away, and that, I mean, it, it's a more satisfying ending to the show than we've gotten where it's just like, oh, what's going to happen next? We don't know, because the show got canceled. Um, or, I guess that's an ending. You know, it's not really meant to have been an ending, but that was an ending to an episode kind of thing. Uh, sometimes shows didn't always get ending episodes, you know what I mean? They didn't get a whole big wrap-up to stuff, you know, like... Uh, as sucky as, like, Buffy the Vampire Slayer's ending is, where she's just staring off into space, or uh, The Sopranos, where everyone's wondering, did did Tony get killed, you know? Um, yeah. it's uh, Sometimes it's Supernatural's ending, where it ended like the way it was going to end, guys. Sorry, I, I know a lot of people hate the way Supernatural ended, but that was the way it was going to end. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Game of Thrones, same way. Boy, did people hate the fucking ending to Game of Thrones. <laughs> it, well, it, it honestly, honestly, after I've rethought about it, it's like, okay, if I keep saying that it was the way it was going to end anyway, someone's going to chew my head off because I have to agree it was a bad ending. It was just like, what? The Night King should have been the ending there, you know. Oh, yeah, they should have drawn that out the entire season. The Night King should have marched through Winterfell onto... The, the King's Landing, and then the big final battle been at King's Landing. Agreed, agreed. But uh, until George R. R. Martin puts out those do- goddamn books, we will never know the actual ending. But that is a podcast for another time, and I'm sure there's a thousand dead uh, Game of Thrones podcasts out there. We don't cover Game of Thrones, we cover canceled TV shows, and uh, that wraps it up for this canceled television show, War of the Worlds, which we have been on since last year. We started this after Bill and Ted, right? Yeah, it's been a while. Yeah. So we're going to do a quick little cartoon, which we've talked about, the Max. We might have a guest on for the Max. I have not heard from anybody yet. But after the Max, we're going to do a more modern show, which we haven't done in quite some time. We've been stuck in the 80s and 90s, so we're going to do a very modern show. We're going into the 2000s around Halloween time for Reaper, and then we're going back into the 90s (laughs) with Alienation. But we'll get there. Check out all the other episodes we have covered on the Dead TV Podcast. Check out our sponsor as well, if you live in Nashville, Massachusetts, Dorgan Ramen Noodles. Check us out on Facebook, the Dead TV Podcast, and our the groups that we're in, the War of the Worlds groups. On Twitter, Chris D. S.A.V. and at Elliot and Kiki. And uh, did I leave anything out? No. I mean, I'll be coming back from Dragon Con with stories to tell for next time. That's right. Mr. Zeneca will be at Dragon Con, so if you... Recognize your voice, go say hello, because <laughs> we don't do video of this show. If, if you recognize my voice, uh, I'd be surprised there, because I will be puppeting some penis puppets. Gigantic penis puppets. I got no comment. <laughs> hey, I gotta do something fun with my time. Is this the puppetry of the penis that I've heard so infamously no, about? No, no, okay, it's, uh, it's, not, it's not actual genitalia. These are gigantic, arm-length dicks with faces. You know, a la Tromeo and Juliet's penis monster. And, uh, you know, Lloyd Kaufman approved of the design. And we are making penis puppets and going to be doing a Three Stooges penis routine. Um, so it's going to be hilarious. Penis! So if, you see, if, if you see three penis puppets 
acting like Stooges, that's me. So say hi. You heard it right here, Mister. Uh, right here on the Dead TV. Co- You've you heard it right here on the Dead TV podcast first, po- folks. Mister. Zeneca is a dick. <laughs> <laughs> Only for this. Only for this. Uh, so you can find her dicking around at Dragon Con. <laughs> Appropriate. Yes. Appropriate. And uh, also send us an email if you wish to, thatradiohorror at gmail.com. If you have any questions, comments, or complaints about the podcast, please do send us an email. If you leave them on the website and I don't like them, guess what? Your you, uh, ISBN number, your ISBN number, your um, IP address is notified to me, and you will be blocked. So make sure you leave any comments that are constructive criticism and not being a jackass. I'm warning you right now. Uh, and we will be back with the Max. An MTV 90s show in celebration, unintentionally, of the 40th anniversary of MTV. Something I guarantee MTV is not doing. (laughs) Because MTV is a shadow of its former self. Good night, everyone. Good night.